Hello, everyone. This is Rafael Garcia, and I'm back on April 13th, back for another edition of MMA Ratings Podcast. <laughs> I guess I can't talk today, but I am here. It's another Thursday. We've got a lot of MMA to talk about. Schwan Humes will be joining me later on today. He had to go pick up the parents, or excuse me, he had to go pick up the kids. He's actually the parent. But yes, he is a responsible father doing his thing. Going to go pick up the children who will be joining us later on today. Um, always appreciate having them on the show and looking forward to some, some of the things we're talking about. We're definitely going to be looking back to the action from UFC 210 from last weekend. Of course, we have probably a lot to say about that. A lot to say of what's come out of that uh, showcase last week. Then we're going to also talk about what's coming up this week. UFC on Fox 24 event coming up as well tomorrow night. We got a lot of things, a lot of different things to talk about. So let's go ahead and jump right on in it. And let's focus on some of the bigger news from last weekend and this week and some of the other, uh, other sm- I'm not going to say small news, other tidbits that have come out as well. So as always, I appreciate you for listening to the show. If you're listening, to us live if you are listening to us later on in the week either way be sure to give us a like down at the bottom share us across social media give us a holler um i appreciate the support you know you guys have been supporting us ever since even back when it was me and rory on the show i think like two years ago so i appreciate everybody who listens to our content likes our content and shares it across their social media networks everything little bit helps and as always you know we always appreciate the support appreciate the love so yeah with that in mind let's just go ahead and talk about where we're going to start so I want to I want to first talk about UFC 210 let's go backwards and then go forwards where we saw a pretty I don't I don't a pretty decent event from start to finish. Um, Daniel Cormier defeating Anthony Johnson in the main event where he would defend his light heavyweight title and um, defeat Johnson for the second time. I think this time was faster than the last. I think the other fight went to three rounds. This one only went to two. Finished via rear naked choke in the second round at three minutes and 37 seconds. Johnson had some good moments. Um, he landed a head kick that we all believe broke Daniel Cormier's nose. And he kind of rocked him. With the, he tried to throw another one to try to get him out of there, but it just didn't happen. But from that point forward, it just looked like he he just didn't look like the same. Like he just all of a sudden just shifted uh, game plans. He started throwing. Um, instead of throwing his patented powerful shots, he went to wrestling. And, you know, you know we remember him being a great wrestler. You remember him being a great wrestler, but I mean, he was a good wrestler, but compared to Cormier, that game plan isn't going to quite work. So what we saw, I mean, he did score. I think he scored two takedowns. He was able to take him down twice. But what happened was that there was never, I mean, there was never any opportunity for him to really do anything with it. He did, um, as I mentioned, he scored twice. But it just didn't, he, he wasn't able to do anything with that. He, 
was reversed a few times. He um, ended up on, on bottom a few times. And even that last transition where where Cormier was able to get that hook in and just basically big brother Johnson to get the rear naked choke. It all just looked like he just stepped away from him from the game plan, which kind of tied into a lot of the awkwardness we saw from UFC 210, even after the fight was over, when Johnson wanted to announce his retirement and his corner just suddenly wasn't in the, weren't in the cage with him. It felt almost awkward that he's just standing there like looking around for his teammates like, where's everybody? It was just so odd. It was just, it was almost uncomfortable in a sense. But then he would go on and he would announce his retirement. Uh, and he would go on to announce his retirement. And it's, 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 again, odd is the only word I could think of. Because here he is, Johnson has had one hell of a resurgence in his career. Because this is a guy who was cut from the UFC uh, after having, I mean, after missing weight multiple times. He was basically screwed um, when fighting Vitor Belfort, but he was still cut from the promotion. And you didn't really know what this guy would do, but he goes up two weight class. Uh, what's the two weight classes? He was at 70, 85, 205. Yeah, he went actually went up to heavyweight at one point, and he also fought at light heavyweight outside of the UFC. Went on a pretty strong run, good enough to get get the call to come back to the octagon. And his second time around, I mean, he just, I don't want to use the word reinvents himself, but he just broke through that ceiling that had always hampered him earlier in his career, earning two title shots. Earning two title shots. One second. So he ended up earning two title shots. He, I mean, he defeated uh, Alexander Gustafsson, Glover Teixeira. He defeated so many good guys during his run. Defeated so many good guys during his run that he looked like, I mean, I, I was kind of hoping he would get the win last weekend just so he could put that feather in his cap. I wonder if he would have done that if he still would have retired, but you know that's neither here nor 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 there. We'll never know the answer to that question now, at this point in time. But he still has you know decided to fully walk away from the sport. Supposedly it's because um some job. Well, he he did say that he's taking a full time job. It's going to take him away from MMA. From what I'm hearing, is football related. No one's really said what quite yet, but uh, he's done for all intents and purposes right at this point in time. He's still relatively young. He's only, uh, let's see how old Johnson is. He is 33 years old. Yes, you know, there are some people who are not the biggest Johnson's fan because of some of the uh, domestic violence issues he's had in the past, which, you know, you can never turn a, turn a blind eye to. But we are definitely, the, the 205 division is definitely, um, a lot lighter now that Anthony Johnson has walked away from, from the sport. But uh, before I continue, I want to definitely say hello to Shawan Humes. He has joined us today. How are you doing there, sir? Great. How about yourself, sir? 
Doing good, man. Doing good. Just talking a little bit about UFC 210 starting at the main event. Where yeah, um, They will take your youth and all your time and your money. And I love my kids, but they took off from me. Dog, listen, I am 32 years old. I can't imagine myself walking around on this planet with a, with a little version of me walking around. Like one of us would have to get sent to the moon or something like that. Oh, yeah. I, and I got all my kids there. They're in these summer basketball. And the worst part is they're good. So, you know, it's like you got to be out there for them. And like, y'all messing up the coaches, messing up my schedule. I'm like, I got stuff to do. We need to end this practice now. But they ain't listening to me. You know? <laughs> That's pretty funny, like, man. MMA ratings has no weight at the basketball practice. So I was just stuck. We don't, we don't, man. We, um, we got to do our thing, but Hey, you know, I'm glad you were able to join us. I'm glad you're here to talk about UFC 210 and talk about some of the things we got coming up, um, this week as well. So we appreciate having you here. Yeah. Always glad to be here, man. Thank you for letting me come on. No problem. No problem. So let's, let's talk about, uh, UFC 210. I was just looking at the, at the main event, looking back to that showcase where we had uh, Daniel Cormier retain his title against Anthony Johnson. Before we get into like everything that has happened since then, let's just talk about the main event there, man. What did you see, and um, what did you think went wrong, and what what what, what went right? Uh, the biggest the biggest chance I felt Anthony Johnson had to win was if he fought a really disciplined, controlled fight instead of looking for the big knockout shot, use his footwork, use his jab, use his feint. And kind of beat Daniel Cormier. I've used those can- He's a very good counter counter striker. Kind of use the body kick, left kick to the body for the southpaw position, fake with the jabs, and just kind of make Daniel Cormier to take him down. Like not make it easy for him. The first fight he hurt him, and then after that he's just kept looking for the same shot. Went, went straight for the knockout. What he should have done is backed up, made Cormier come to him. And just try to out, essentially outbox him over the length of the fight, and then catch him later on. In this fight, I think he just panicked. I think he sabotaged himself. I think he just wasn't into it because he he just he played right into Cormier's he played right into Cormier's um, hands with that approach, trying to wrestle him. At first, I thought it was part of his plan. He's going to come out and wrestle heavy and kind of get Cormier looking for him to wrestle, and then surprise him in the second round. But in the second round, he came out and did the same thing, and I. I was like, he just checked out. I was just like, there's no way he can win. He can't win an extended wrestling match with an Olympic wrestler. Um, with a guy who uses wrestling as frequently as Daniel Cormier does. As you know, some amateur wrestlers get away from it and they start using their strikes and they don't even wrestle anymore. But Cormier lives and dies by wrestling. And once I saw the second round that Johnson was going for it again, I just realized he wasn't into it mentally and he was pretty much looking for a way out. I mean, he lost again, by rear naked choke. And every single loss he's had, except for one, has been rear, by rear naked choke. And it was just frustrating because I, I felt he could have put on a better performance. He has the skills, he had the athleticism, and he just totally threw it out the window and, and essentially mailed it in, in my opinion. And see, that's that's the phrase that a lot of people are being, are, are, are using. Um, I find I, I definitely struggle with the idea of a fighter phoning it in, but I mean, I've seen it. Um, in some competitions, I've done it. But to think that Johnson is fighting for the UFC light heavyweight title and to think that he phoned it in, for lack of a better term, is that possible? Do you guys get to that level and then decide, you know, this isn't what I want and I'm done? I think it's very possible. I mean, it's, it's even though it's combat sports, people like to make combat sports seem out like it's something so different from regular life. And the fact of the matter, it isn't. People quit on marriages, they quit on their children, they quit at jobs. 
athletes quitted sports they get to the highest level and they essentially just check out i mean it's it's more about being a, a, a what kind of person you are and your commitment to something and your mental toughness at that moment than it is about you know you have the big biggest prize in your sport ahead of you i mean if you're if you're a person who doesn't like to work hard, it doesn't matter if you're super talented and you have millions of front, millions of dollars in front of you, you're not going to work hard. If you're a person who just wants to be unfaithful and you have the greatest wife or husband with you, you're just going to be unfaithful. At some point, the, the, the onus falls on the fighter and not just their character or their skills, their skills as a fighter, but their character as a human being. I mean, it's like, they, like people often say in a boxing ring, the boxing ring is a truth machine. And it's something you say for the cage. You can pretend to be anything you want to be outside the cage. I'm a destroyer. I'm a tough guy. I'm an athlete. I'm a fighter. But once you get in the cage, you're going to be exposed for what you are. And Anthony Johnson has historically been a front runner. As long as he's putting those things on you, as long as you're scared of him, as long as you're hesitant, he, he's fine. But once a guy is willing to walk that tightrope and risk getting blasted and not get scared and back off the first time he cracks him with power, then he starts breaking. He starts breaking. When he fought Phil Davis, he heard Phil Davis earlier. Early. Phil Davis ran for the rest of the fight, looking for ways in. When he heard Daniel Cormier, Cormier backed off, but the minute Cormier could get his hands on him, he got his hands on him. When Cormier had to exchange, Cormier exchanged. It's just a difference difference in character. And it seems like Anthony Johnson is lacking in that area of character. Because as far as skills and physical ability, he has the skills to match up. In the first fight, Cormier had a hard time taking him down. He outstruck him on the feet. He was holding his own in wrestling exchanges. He just kept looking for the knockout shot and gave up stupid takedowns. So it's not that he doesn't have the ability to, to wrestle with them to an extent and work his strikes, but he just didn't do it. He totally threw the plan out, the game plan out of the window for something that was never, ever, ever going to work. So, hmm, like there's a, there's a few different things you said there because I think the, one of the more interesting things that I noticed about the idea of Johnson phoning it in, even um, was before the fight occurred. You know, Johnson showed up looking good. He looked good on the scale. He looked like he had didn't have any issues making the weight. Everything looked good. And when he started the fight, you know, he clipped um, Cormier early. He looked more patient. He landed that head kick that um, seemed to break Cormier's nose. And then he threw another one that looked like had it landed, it would have ended the fight. So everything looked like it was going well for him. I wonder what it was that caused him to decide, you know, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to try to wrestle maybe one of the greatest wrestlers in the game today. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to try to beat him at his own game. That's never been something that Johnson's done. He's always walked in there and imposed his will and just absolutely dispatched people one after another. So to see him do something like that, it really does, it really does make me wonder where he was mentally before this fight. You have to wonder. Then you find out he's retiring afterwards. And the things he said was like, you know, I'm tired of getting punched. I'm tired of rolling around with guys in here. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, it just it makes you makes you wonder how committed was he to this. I mean, if you're already planning on retiring, whether you won the title or not, and those are his words, not mine. How do you possibly how do you possibly believe he was totally invested? He said, if I won it or not. How how do you believe? How do you have any faith that that guy's totally invested when he's saying something like that? You know, I mean, if somebody told you I was going to quit the job regardless of they gave me the raise or they didn't, then, you know, they, they really didn't want that job anymore. And if you really don't want want it, how hard are you really going to fight for it? Even if it's a great job and a great opportunity for you, how hard are you going to fight for it if you really don't want to be there? And it didn't seem like he really wanted to be there. 
And the fact that he just fought such a, a strategically flawed fight, it just kind of highlights that. I mean, it's not like he froze or he choked. It's like he met, he tried to do something and he couldn't pull it off. He didn't do that. He didn't even attempt what he should have been doing. He just totally threw it out the window and basically walked into defeat. Daniel Cormier didn't beat him. Anthony Johnson basically gave him the win. And when that sort of thing happens, it's hard not to say anything except that he 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 checked out. He he wasn't invested. He fought the fight that was almost guaranteed to get him in the position that he's weakest in and get him finishing. Been more effective than the one he tried, and he stuck with it. First round, I I gave that to him. Fine, you try it. Maybe you're trying to switch it up on him. And it, it just seemed like he was determined to get into an extended grappling exchange. And Anthony Johnson has never won an extended grappling exchange in his life. Watch the film. He has never, ever, ever won an, an extended grappling exchange with anybody. Never. And so then he did that. He engaged in the fight that he always loses. And he lost the way he always loses against the type of fighter that he always loses against. And either he choked or he mailed it in. I, I don't necessarily know if he choked. I think he just, he wasn't invested. And he just, I mean, any... Any other way, striking, trying to go back and forth, there's a risk of a certain amount of damage. There's a risk of a certain amount of harm. The way he went out this way, he was going to get out, wrestle, get out of position, and get finished quickly. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, man. It, was... it seems like I'm indicting him, and I don't know his I don't know his mind. I don't know his heart. All I can go on is what he said afterwards and how he performed in the fight. And those two things, him checking out of the fight. And that's, that's definitely, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. And I wonder um, what the conversation would be if he did not announce his retirement that way, if people would still have the same type of um, sentiment towards his performance. But you're right, it, it left something to be des desired. It left something to be um, questioned because it just didn't seem like, it didn't seem like he was the type, he, he was going to be doing what he did on Saturday. It just kind of caught us all all caught us all off guard and I for one wanted to see something different from him I like I said when I opened the show I was hoping that he would um, pull out a victory because I think it would have added a decent wrinkle to the um, to the light heavyweight division is like like a lot of people are upset that he's lost and I'm not as upset because at this point, it's clear he can't beat the number two guy. I guess the number one guy because Jones isn't in. So essentially, when when you have Johnson in there, all he's doing is knocking off other contenders. This a couple weeks ago. The problem with the light heavyweight division is all the guys are older. They've already lost to Jones, but none of the young guys they have coming up can get past the older veterans they have in front of them. So you just keep seeing guys fighting for position for the opportunity to possibly rematch Jones when he comes back or get to Cormier if they can get to him before Jones comes back. But none of these fights are exciting because we've already seen these guys against the very best guy, and they lost. So nobody can get excited about these matchups. Am I excited about Glover Teixeira challenging for the title? No, John Jones worked him, and Jones dominated DC. So him fighting DC isn't interesting. Am I excited to see Gustafsson getting another shot? No, he already lost to Jones, and he lost to Cormier. And it just goes on and on down the line. But all the young guys can't get past any of these veterans. So Johnson, you even if he stays in, what does he do? Knock off another four, five, six young guys, and then we're right back in the same situation. He's a contender, and he's going to be in a fight that nobody's going to buy because it doesn't sell. We've already seen you cave in twice. We don't want to see you cave in a third time to this guy. Like, business-wise, it, it hurt the pro it hurt 
having not having him there hurts the quality, but the same instance, it opens up a log jam in the division because now when they bring in new light heavyweights or younger guys, it, they have one less veteran who's going to be there knocking them off and keeping them from getting into inside the top ten. Yeah, that, that's 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 going to be it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird to see what where this division goes, and that kind of helps me segue right into the right point. Where do you go from here next? Do you automatically put Cormier back in there with um? Do you put Cormier back in there with John Jones? You know, with no idea when he he's returning. Do you put him back in there with um? Do you put him in there with Jimmy Manoa? Like, what do you do with him next going going forward? Well, if you want to make money with Cormier. Then you put him in with John Jones because that I mean no offense, so old except when he's fought John Jones he's just not a draw, a draw. The only time he's the draw is when you have that whole um, him having the, the issues he's had with John Jones outside the cage and the fight they had inside the cage. That's the only way that fight makes any sort of sense. So the problem becomes Jones come right back in and face the top guy when he hasn't fought in. You know, it's been since Jones. I don't even know how long it's been since Jones has last been in the cage. You, you would think Jones would need at least a tune-up. For Cormier, the best fight for him is Jones. It's the biggest money fight. It's the biggest that's going to get him the attention and the money and the, pro- and the props that he wants. But for Jones, I don't know if it's smart to have him run right back in there when he hasn't fought. And I don't even know if he's training, but much less he hasn't fought in, in months. And, and Cormier has been fairly active. But as far as Cormier, it's in his best interest. He's getting older. I personally think he's declining physically. He's as good as it used to be. I don't think his ability to recover from punishment is as good as it used to be. And against a guy who's kind of one-dimensional and seems mentally weak, I see how he can be effective. But if he's facing a guy who's got a, a, a full array of skills and a little bit of durability and some athleticism, I don't know that Cormier wins. You know, with, with Johnson, there was a clear path to victory with Jones it's never going to be that easy and Jones is in his best interest right now but financially it is financially it's the only fight to make but as far as like in Jones best interest probably not but for Cormier it's in his best interest he's only going to get a year he's going to only get older he's only going to get slower and um if Jones loses a tune-up fight then that there goes his payday so I like the idea of Jones taking the of taking the tune. I'm I'm a big fan of tune-up fights. I'm a big big fan of the idea. I think athletes need it. Um, I mean it's crazy. Athletes do, across every other sport, athletes have tune-ups. Baseball players pitching the minors. Basketball players playing the D league. Same thing with hockey. Um, I don't understand why fighters think that they don't need a tune-up before getting putting themselves back in the most pressure filled position which is which, which we saw with Chris Weidman which we'll talk about later on so i like the idea of jones taking two go ahead it, it's just that money like when you're in a and when you're in a team sport like you know you're a football you're a panthers fan somebody comes back from injury you can slowly work them back in you can test them out you can if they get into trouble you can take them out you, you bring in a big name, let's say they're undefeated or they have very few losses to a lesser fighter in that money fight loses a bunch of money. I mean, how big was Pacquiao Mayweather? Huge, right? I never it's got huge, stopped yep. by it. Huh? 
Uh, ahead, go ahead. Imagine if we got knocked out by Marquez. How much bigger would Pacquiao? But we'll never know because Pacquiao did get beat by Marquez. Cost them hundreds of millions of dollars for that as a result because he was fighting a guy who was lesser than Mayweather instead of fighting Mayweather, and it cost him hundreds of millions. That fight would have been two more, two two times bigger, but it wasn't because he had that huge knockout loss on his ledger in the recent history. If John Jones gets beat by some, by Jimmy Manoa or somebody else, then the fight with Daniel Cormier goes up in smoke. They can make the fight later, but it'll never be as big as if it's Cormier, if it's Jones undefeated on this huge winning streak. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's really weird there. It's like the, the 205 division has never been, it, like as, as I've said before on the show, I am not the biggest fan of heavyweight fighting, heavyweight and light heavyweight fighting. I was never, even even when it was a division to be in, I was never that biggest fan, even though Kevin Random is one of my favorite fighters. Now, fight like <laughs> huh? Say it again. He didn't fight like a heavyweight, though. He was explosive and dynamic. No, he didn't. He didn't. He was trying to throw you on your head and that be that. But now you can see how you can see how a void of talent this division is. Now, not necessarily the word keyword talent, but depth. I'll, I'll use the term depth. You can see how void of depth this this division really is. Because where do you go from here? You have you had Johnson. It's kind of like you know the five heartbeats when the, the movie started out the five heartbeats and it ended up with 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 just four. You know you you lost Anthony Johnson. Now you have Alexander Gustafson, um, John Jones, and Dan Cormier. Beyond that, I mean you can't really do too much. With him, I mean, Jimmy Manuel was there, but he was already stopped by both Johnson and Gustafson. So, what really can you do next with this group? I'm not too excited. I mean, you got you got Chikonov who's coming up the rankings, and he looks like a good threat. But outside of him, what else do you really have to offer in the 205 pound group? Exactly, they don't have enough depth to kind of slowly move guys along. Guys go from facing a top 15 or maybe a, a top. 13 guy and then all, all of a sudden have to jump to facing a top 10 guy and that gap in experience when you're facing a guy who's done it for years and is still maybe maybe not at his peak peak but is close to it it's a big jump to make you're facing these guys who can't fight or really aren't skilled in the season and then you have to go against Glover Teixeira or Alexander Gustafsson it's like most fighters aren't exceptional enough to make that leap and be successful right away they need to be brought up in levels in tiers so thin that you don't get you don't get to develop. You go from guys who can barely fight, regional guys, to all of a sudden guys who fought for the title. That's a huge jump to make. And every time most of those guys make that jump, they end up falling flat on their face. And that's one less interesting matchup you have in division because you've had a young guy who had some potential just get dominated. Think about Glover Teixeira when he fought Jared Cannonier. He dominated him. He made him look like a novice. He out-wrestled him, out-grappled him. And yeah, the guy, Cannoneer, looked dynamic and explosive in the fights he won, but he got exposed as such a poor grappler and such a poor wrestler. Nobody's going to take him seriously, even if he goes on another win streak, until he proves that he's short of that hole. And unfortunately for him, the champion of the division is a great wrestler, was a great wrestler. So you, it, you instantly wipe him out as a consideration for a potential champion because you've seen that he has this huge hole that all the top three guys in division can exploit. So what's the and him? You can't push him until he improves. You just knocked off a young contender, you know. 
even on the fringes, you got Gian Vellante. He got destroyed by Shogun. So another guy who had some potential, maybe, maybe not a legitimate contender, but a fringe contender, got knocked off by a guy who was clearly declined and in the latter stages of his career. So there's another guy knocked out. And that's what keeps happening because there's no depth in the light heavyweight division where you can slowly develop and season guys and refine their skills. You go from number 17 to number seven. And that's a jump too far, and it ends up costing them every single time. So I don't want to spend too much. I don't want to spend like a lot more, much more time hampered on this division. But what did you think about um, Cormier's? I don't want to say performance, but the way he acted during the post-fight um, interview. Do you think like people booing him and stuff like that? Like, again, we've always said that. Um, we've always said that Cormier gets a bad rap, you know. Um, and with the way the fans were booing, you know, it just really, it really just seems like, and people were being so upset over Tilegate, it just seems foolish the way he's hated so much. Do you think that this is going to change his, um, his value as a pay-per-view or a ratings, um, ratings attraction? I don't think it's going to make him, I don't think it's going to make him into a big star or anything. It's the best route for him to go. He's never going to be the guy that people want to cheer for and want to get excited for and, and be behind. He's just not that person. I don't think he's ever going to be that person. So the best thing for him to do is embrace being a heel. Josh Koscheck made money hand over fist by accepting the fact that people don't like him and playing up to that, playing, playing up to that. And if Daniel Cormier is smart in the little bit of time he's got left, he might as well just play up to being a heel. I mean, he's not a bad guy, but the things he stands for and the way he comes across it comes off too much dad-like. It comes off as too responsible and not cool. And that I think that's why people don't like him because he doesn't have a kind of an edge or a charisma or a charm. He's just, he's like someone's dad. He's like a, a gym coach. He's like a wrestling coach. He's a he's an authority figure. He talks about doing things the right way and that's just not appealing. Play it up and play the heel and, and make as, as big a payday as he can from this point on by playing that. Playing to the crowd will not work. They don't like him. And and better yet, he needs to talk to his good friend Tyron Woodley and say, "Hey, dude, because this trying to get people's respect and get their attention and, and get them to be fans of yours, it's not working. Do the Floyd Mayweather, play the heel, get the money, get out of the sport. This is the best he's made in years, in my opinion." Yeah, um, I hope that it has a positive impact on his career, and I hope that people begin to see him and appreciate who he is as an athlete. So as we move on, you know, we're going to talk about some other athletes, one being uh, Chris Weidman and Gegard Mousasi. I know you saw that. So talk to me about this travesty um, and what occurred. Gegard Mousasi got the win via TKO. Um, it was ruled a TKO via knees, but we know what happened. Wyman had what looked to be two hands down. Dan Big Dan stepped in, um, warned Gegard uh, while Wyman was down on the ground, kind of shaking the cobwebs out. Another ref informed Dan that you know these knees weren't illegal. The replays are showing in the arena. No one, Joe Joe Rogan is talking about how the the knees were legal. Mark Ratner has no idea what's going on as usual. And in the end. It ends with Wyman being unable to continue and the fights were um, declared a TKO. Walk me through your thoughts as this was going down because I was definitely looking because I was watching and I was like, those knees were legal. I, I kind of saw it early. I was like, those knees looked legal. It looked like he was lifting them up. Um, I was then concerned about 
Do they cut Weidman's time? Do they stop letting him recover and go right back into the fight? Do they start the fight from that same position and allow Gegard to keep kneeing him? Like, w there were so many different questions that go on that immediately come into play in a situation like that. What was your What was your train of thought as you sat there and watched that unfold? Um, I was kind of thinking. I mean, I knew I knew I knew the knees were legal. I didn't know why they were giving Weidman a chance to recover. And to be honest, I started thinking that Weidman was looking for a way out. I, I, I know he's a fighter. I know he's a tough guy. But it just seemed like he knew that he was he was wearing down. He didn't have anything left. He realized he had been had, and he was looking for any way out of that fight. And um, I, I didn't know why they stopped it. I, I thought when they stopped it, I thought they were going to stop it and be like, hey, it's over. It's a knockout. He can't continue. When they stopped it, I, I, I didn't understand what the what the foul was or what had happened. I was like, it's clear that he wasn't all the way down. Those are two clear knees. So, what's the issue? Why are they even? Why are they taking a second look at this? And what's interesting is that um, leading into that sequence, Musashi was turning a corner. He was clipping. He was clipping Whiteman, hitting him with some clean shots. He he was mounted a second before he fought his way back up to his feet, and he was coming with the heat. I mean, he was hitting. He was chasing Whiteman around. He was definitely being more. Aggressive, you could see a sense of urgency because he knew he had dropped the first round and he knew the second round was slipping away. So you can see that sense of urgency and what Musasi was doing. I'm not going to say I agree with the idea that Wyman um, gave the fight away because uh, I wrote a piece earlier in the week about how he, when he was asked what the date was, he said it was like February or something like that. And watching Matt Serra's and Ray Longo's reaction. I don't think that he gave the fight away. I definitely think he was hurt from those two knees. Um, a little more hurt than he played it up to be. But um, I wasn't. I, I was surprised with how that whole situation unfolded and the questions that have come out since. I, the thing that surprised me was the people were shocked the way this fight went. And the thing that surprised me is that this is kind of the game plan they had for him versus Musasi. I mean, I, I like Weidman. I've never been the biggest Weidman fan as far as like his fight style and, and, and thinking that he's the best thing ever. Everybody kept telling me he's the best. And I, I hate to repeat this because it sounds like I'm, I'm trying to be mean-spirited. But months ago, me and you had this conversation. Overrated, underrated. I said, Luke Rockhold, Chris Weidman. And, and in recent events in the past year, nobody can argue, argue me off those points because both things were proven. And I've been, I've been pulling the card on Chris Weidman for months, if not years, he's a big, strong, physical, durable guy. For him to be effective, all three of those things have to be in his favor. He is no longer as durable as he used to be. He doesn't react to getting hit well the way he used to. He used to get hit, and he used to be okay. And I don't know if that's because he was fighting a lower class of athlete, or he just his chin was in his damage. But either way, now when he gets hit, his reaction isn't the reaction you want to see from a fighter fighting at world-class level. Secondly, he in the last three in all the fights he's lost have been to guys who are as, as athletic or superiorly athletic athletically to him. Every single fight when he hasn't been able to manhandle somebody and control them in the clinch or dictate where the fight's going to go or impose his will on them by going body to body and and draining the life out of them in those clinches and those wrestling attempts, he's been he's been ineffective. He couldn't do the rock hold. And the same guy who was super poised and super technical and super layered, who hit the unhittable Leona Machida with disciplined strikes and well-placed strikes and controlled pressure, 
This guy throws a spinning kick, spinning back kick, something you've never seen from him, gets taken down off it and beat within an inch of his life on two different occasions because his team in his corner never called the fight. So then he goes in against Romero, take him down, take him down, take him down, can't hold him down, can't control him. The same guy who, who controlled Anderson Silva on the ground, the same guy who controlled all these other people on the ground, all of a sudden he can't control him. Romero keeps getting up. Romero keeps getting up. He can't stand Romero. He shoots. Romero knees him, fights over. The same guy who has a layered, disciplined stand-up looks totally lost on the feet against Romero because Romero's speed and his timing and his explosiveness is too much for him to make up for and cover defensively. So then he goes into the fight with Musasi. Musasi's throwing the jab. And it's in a nifty trick for people, the jab is a range fighter for the guy who throws it. But if you're a smart person, you spart a lot or you understand what you're doing, you can use the jab to gauge their distance. And once you gauge their distance, the same way I would gauge my distance by using my jab to set up my right hand or a kick or whatever, you can gauge my jab by slip. You can gauge it when I'm throwing it out and you can gauge the distance you need to close to get a takedown or get a shot off. That's all he did. Musasi would throw it out. He'd back away, circle. He'd get the distance, duck under, take Musasi down. But the thing about it is, once again, Musasi's a big, strong middleweight who used to fight a light heavyweight. All the guys he's had problems with could fight a light heavyweight. They're big, strong, physical guys. Every time he took Musasi down, he couldn't control him. Musasi was making him fight and making him work for control, making him work for top position, making him work for everything he had. And eventually, Weidman just, Weidman just slowed down. He gassed. He didn't have any explosion. And when he started slowing down, his strikes started getting sloppier. His, his defense, which isn't that great to begin with, all of a sudden started to fall off. And Musasi started putting shots together on him. And, and Wyman couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't get away from the shots. He tried to take down, had no drive, had no explosiveness, got defended, and then got kneed. If he would have had any sort of conditioning or he would have had any sort of believable threat on the feet, he would have got that takedown. If he would have had the explosiveness and conditioning left, he would have got that takedown. But he had nothing for it. So he shot from too far out, was reaching, got had it defended, and got torn up. He hasn't even been in that position. But he was in that position because he faded, he got tired, because he couldn't control the guy. He couldn't impose his will. He couldn't dictate the terms of engagement. Even though he's a far superior wrestler, at no point did he really have positional control, like really have it, where you thought, oh, Musashi's stuck. He's in big trouble now. Musashi was always squirming, fighting, turning, using his guard, kicking out, turning over, doing whatever he could to make Weidman work, and Weidman just gassed. And once he gassed, all, all those limitations in his skill set got exposed. And it all starts with the fact that athletically, he can't compete with these guys. And when he does not have an advantage, he is not effective. You've never seen him be effective against somebody when he does not have a size, strength, and athleticism advantage. Every time he, is, he hasn't had that advantage, he is lost. The three most athletic, youngest guys, guys in their prime that he's fought, have all stopped him. Stopped him. TKO or straight KO have all stopped him. All the guys who were inferior or were a second-class or third-class athlete, he looked amazing. And Mark Muniz looked amazing. Damian Maya toughed it out but looked pretty good. Um, I don't know who else he fought. Anderson Silva looked great against him. Belfort looks great. Leona Machida was tough, but he looked very good against them. What do all those guys have in common? They're old guys who aren't in their athletic prime anymore, who can't, who, who can't match muscle and muscle. They can't match athleticism. They can't match cardio. They can't match durability. The minute he started facing guys who could, he started losing, and he started losing badly. And anybody who watches the tape can see that. It's just really obvious. Everything these guys who beat him have had in common 
one thing they have in common, they're young, they're athletic. All the guys they beat up before, they're all old and they're declining. It's the most obvious I mean, thing trying to dance around. You're not you're not you're not wrong there. I wanna argue with you about the the Rockhold. I would argue with you about the Rockhold point, but that's another conversation for another day. But um that's definitely some um I'm not gonna totally disagree with you. I've I've never been too too high on um Weidman. Um uh, just never I, I I've always thought that he's had uh he's I feel like he he's a, a lot about heart, and you know he's been able to tough things out and and get get to where he's um, reached. But he's just never been someone that really truly set the bar for me. Um, and I hate to say it like that because it kind of detracts f from what he's done. But that's neither here nor there. And just to bring this up before, we did talk about this before. And if y'all listen to the podcast over the past year, you will hear me repeatedly call him out. I don't have anything personal against him. But I know people who who wrestled against them. I know people who spar with them in, in the grappling room. They said, "Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's physical. Yeah, he's very good. He's not great." And if you listen to the show once ago, I said he's not as good a wrestler as everybody says. He isn't controlling people, people the way people think he can control them. I said that on this podcast. So this isn't something I just came up with. It's something I wrote about repeatedly. It's something I mentioned this podcast over and over and over again. I have nothing against this dude. But he needs certain advantages to be effective. His whole style is based off him being longer, bigger, stronger, and more durable than the guys he's facing. If any one of those things changes, his effectiveness changes. Remember when everybody thought about how, how technical and patient and deliberate Weidman's offense on the feet was, how he figured out Anderson Silva, how he figured out Leota Machida? Look at how that guy looks compared to, in those two fights, to how he looks now. Versus Rockhold, he looked against Rockhold, looked against Romero, and he looked against Musasi. It's like night and day. And the big in in Machida's a, a more disciplined defensive fighter than Rockhold. He's better defense than Romero. He's better defense than Musasi. He beat Musasi. Uh, Anderson's a more technical striker than most of these guys. But all of a sudden, he's having all these problems with these guys who have obvious holes in their game. And the only thing I can point to is that athleticism and the fact that. He doesn't have that advantage. And now now with his chin being dented, I don't know what happens to, to Weidman because a lot of his success is based on him being able to walk through a little bit of fire to impose his will on you, to get his hands on you, to, to come behind that jab, put those body kicks on you, get on the clinch and beat you up. Because in every fight, he takes big shots. Now he can't take big shots anymore. So now what is he going to do? Because he doesn't have the foot speed to come in and out. He can't fight off the back foot and hit you with check hooks and hit you with a jab and chop you off, chop you up off the counter his only way to success is to press and to be deliberate and controlled as an aggression. And now he can't take a shot. So he can't even do that anymore. So what's really left for him right now? I mean, this, this is starting to get to the point where you have to start wondering, he might have to find another career because that's three fairly punishing KO losses in a row against the very best in the division. Well, let's, let's, let's go from there then. What is next for him? Because on one hand, you have Musasi who doesn't have a UFC contract and is out the door. You know, he's he he's making it very clear he wants to get paid. So you have him on one hand. You have um, Weidman who has lost three fights in a row and seems to be opposed to the idea of taking a tune-up fight. Then we got um, Ronaldo Sosa who's fighting this weekend who is fighting his last contracted UFC fight as well. So... Um, there's definitely some interesting dynamics breaking down in the uh, UFC middleweight division. 
if if Musasi wants to get paid, he needs to go somewhere else. I don't think the UFC is going to pay him. I don't think they pay anybody who is not who who hasn't proven themselves worthy of a big paycheck. If you don't have some kind of cachet, if you don't have some kind of fan base or like a fan base that pays, all these fighters have fan bases. All of them have fans. I see their Twitters. They got all these followers. Yeah, you're the best. We're a fan, but these people don't put their money down. These people don't travel from state to state and country to country to come see them. They're not that popular. If he wants to get paid, he might as well go back to Scott Coker. Him and Coker have a good relationship. Um, they're in Europe all the time now. Back by having him headline a card, and Coker believes in him. And Coker needs Coker's middleweight division is super thin. He needs names. He needs legitimacy. He'll pay. He'll pay Musasi for the value he brings and the fact that he's coming off this win streak. The the UFC is not offering him the money he wants. He wants a certain kind of money. I can almost guarantee it. If he gets the money, I'll admit I'm wrong. I don't know what I'm talking about. They're not paying him what he thinks he's worth. Money. He's definitely not getting Anderson Silva money. If you want to quote Leota Machida, that's not going to happen. So if he wants to get money, he needs to go elsewhere. Go to Risen. Go to Bellator. Go wherever. But he is not going to get paid by the UFC. He doesn't put butts in seats. He doesn't drive pay-per-view buys. He doesn't drive rating. He's not that kind of fighter. And he's never been a champion. So they're not going to pay him. That's just all this to it. He wants to get paid. He's going to go somewhere else. And if he says he wants to get paid and he stays in the UFC, then money's not that important. If money's really important to him, he's going elsewhere. Because there's other places that will pay him top dollar for him to compete. The UFC is not one of those places. Yeah, the UFC isn't. What um, what is interesting to me is I wonder like so this is kind of again we're kind of bouncing around a little bit because we started talking about Weidman, what's next for him first, but I wonder who is more valuable to the UFC right now. Is it is it Sosa or is it Musasi? Especially if um, Sosa gets the win on Saturday. Because if he loses, I think the answer is immediately Musasi, and they throw money at his and then throw more money at him. Because especially because a you know he's he's younger, he had he probably has more miles on his body just because he's been fighting more and he's been doing boxing, he's been doing a lot more e- events than Sosa has. He but he speaks very his I don't know his English has gotten amazing over um, the last two years or so, but he's. Not only is he speaking better English, but he's being more brash in his uh, commentary as well. So you have that to point towards. So do you think the UFC, do you think there's any, what would you bet? Would you bet on both guys coming back to UFC, which one guy or the other guy coming back, or neither guy coming back? I I honestly, he doesn't get a title fight. He doesn't want to come back. A title fight. He, he, he He's not going to. He's not going to jump. He's got more support than him. He's not going to jump Musasi. Musasi's dominant, flashy win. He's not. He's not jumping either one of them. So, and honestly, I'll just say it right now. I don't think he's going to win Saturday night either. So I don't think he's going to stay. And Musasi. Musasi wants to get paid. Musasi doesn't want a title shot. He wants to get paid. He wants Mark Hunt money. He wants Chris Weidman money. He wants whatever everybody's getting. He wants it, and the UFC is not paying it. I don't think they're ever going to pay it. They'll make him an offer, but it's not going to be the offer he wants, and they're not going to pay him more. He hasn't proven that he sells or he's accomplished anything enough that's going to get him the money that he wants because it's not just good money. It's the money he's satisfied by. He doesn't want more money. He wants the money he wants. You know what I mean? It's like if you want this kind of car, and I give you another car that's really great, but you want this car, and what car I give you, you're not happy because you didn't get the car you want. 
He wants the money he wants. If he's not getting it, he's not staying. Jacare is not getting a title shot, so he might as well leave. If, if he doesn't, then he's just he's just all talk. But if he's really serious about getting a title fight in his next fight, he might as well leave because he's at least he's behind at least two people minimum. Keep talking for a second. I'll be right back. Keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah. Basically, if Sousa stays, he's going to be behind Romero and GSP. And if Musasi stays, he's behind Musasi. Musasi, he's behind three people. He's nowhere near a title fight. He'd have to fight at least one more time to get even close to a title fight. He's just not going to get it. He doesn't sell. He doesn't speak English. Evoke the kind of highlight reel finishes that fans get into. And more importantly, he's he's declining as well. He's not as old as he used. To, he's not as young as he used to be. He's not as physically dominant as he used to be. And he's somewhat of a one-note fighter. I'm not investing money in a guy at his age and who's somewhat limited as a fighter. There's no point in it. In another year or two, he's not even going to be a viable top ten guy anymore. Year or two, maybe three at the most. He won't be a viable top ten guy. Him go and find somebody else, bring somebody else up, develop somebody else, and put them in the position you want. So what do you do with, with Wyman then? What do you do with Wyman right now? Do you let him kind of sit sit to the side? Do you tell him to sit back and wait? What do you do with him? I personally think Wyman, I, I said this before, this is the same thing I said about Anthony Pettis. When you start losing and losing badly, what you need to do is you need to take a step back, really refine your skills. Don't take a, a three months off, six months off. Take like a year off. And if you can't afford to take a year off, and you've been a champion and you made some pretty good money, then something something's wrong on your end. You you drop the ball sometime because pay-per-view points from the Anderson Silva fight and then had Ronda Rousey fighting on the undercard. He should he should have made some pretty good money, in my opinion. And but he should take he should take some time off, really decide if he can make middleweight anymore. I don't know if middleweight's viable for him anymore. Maybe if he moves up a weight class, light heavyweights then, and even though he's not since light heavyweight then he can put some maybe he can put some wins together out there. So I was gonna do. There's a couple of different things that we we can talk about from there. Um, Weidman has talked about going to um, going to mid not middleweight excuse me going to light heavyweight, which he is not too excited about doing. Um, what else is there? There's also uh, the idea of him stepping away from a standard period of time. We've seen other fighters do this, which is interesting because on this same card, you see Miles Jury come back after an extended period of time away from the sport, and he blows through his opponent. Um, he just looks fantastic. He looks healthy. He looks like he's ready to um, do his thing, and he just blows in, comes in and just blows through um, his opponent and gets a very solid, very solid win. So I don't I don't think we see Weidman do the same thing. I think he does take another fight um, at some point in time, especially if um, the UFC can't um, can't get a, especially if the UFC does not get a contract done with um, Musasi to come right back. If if he ends up going to another organization, I definitely think that Weidman takes a big name fight right out the gate to try to keep his name relevant, which I think is a wrong wrong decision, but I think that's what we'll see. I, I was just about to ask you that. At this point, doesn't it seem like he needs to take a step back, like let his mind and his body recover and figure out a new game plan and how he's going to approach things? Three, That's three KO losses in a row, and none of them 
have been really, they've all been pretty ugly. You know, he's been taking beatings on the way to getting stopped. I mean, shouldn't somebody in his team, somebody in his management say, hey, Chris, you need to take a break. I know you need the money, but you, you have another, if he has one more stoppage loss, there's nothing left for him. There's nothing. And right now it looks like he's just one punch away from a stoppage loss. And it is, it's a big hitter right now. I mean, who is he going to fight? Robert Whitaker? He's a big hitter. Derek Brunson is flawed, but he's a big hitter. Even Anderson hit Silva, you know, the, the white man I've seen recently, I don't know that this white man gets past Anderson Silva. I'll say it. I don't know that he gets past Anderson Silva right now. I don't know that this Chris Weidman could beat Kelvin Gastelum right now. That's, that's how concerned I am. And, and if he's just going to keep jumping back in, it's like I said before, I thought this was a bad decision because if he wins this fight, I knew he's still going to take punishment, but I thought he was going to lose and he lost again by stoppage from strikes. And that's never a good sign to have three KO losses. And in each fight, he's looked like he's taking shots a little bit worse in each fight. So I think he needs to take a break. He needs to take a break, take a step back, reorganize himself, reorganize his plans, and figure out how he's going to attack this problem from a different position. Because what he's doing, going back, the new Chris Weidman didn't work, the old Chris Weidman didn't work, going back to the old Chris Weidman didn't work. They need to figure something else out. And if they can't, he really might not need to think about retiring because you can't, you can't have these many stoppage losses one after the other after the other. You just can't. It, it, it's ridiculous. And somebody in his team needs to stop this, in my opinion. I'm not part of his team. I don't know. They can do whatever they want. I think somebody needs to stop him. And what's 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 crazy is that um, I know I'm not I'm not the biggest I'm not an expert on this at all I'm not a medical expert in any way shape or form, but it was uncomfortable listening to Weidman talk during the um, post fight press conference or the post fight interview. It was uncom it was uncomfortable because he sounds just like Sylvester Stallone out 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 of Rocky, and we know how that ended up after all those heads movie or not. What we now know about concussions and all the shots with the injuries with long term damage these shots do to your head. Listening to him talk was almost uncomfortable. You can't tell me that people can listen to Diego Sanchez talk and feel one way about him, knowing that all the damage he's doing to himself for these fights, and then not say the same thing about Chris Weidman because he sounds just as bad. Yeah, everybody keeps on holding on. You know, they're, he could turn it around. It's beyond that point at this point. There's no way he's not going to take punishment in this fight. So far, all I found out is Chris Weidman is tough for about a round and a half. And then it goes bad for him. And I just don't understand why somebody in his team, did, after the first loss, didn't say, let's take a step back. You took a pretty brutal beating. Let's take a step back and re reconfigure what we're doing here. Nobody seems to do that. Everybody wants to jump right back to the front of the line. You just can't jump back from the front of the line. If you go to bankruptcy, turn around and be solvent again, it takes time. You fail out of a class, you don't just take one test and you pass it. You have to go take the class all over again. He kept trying to jump the line. And every time he jumped up, he got smacked back down. And the thing is, in a fight, there are real repercussions. It's not even just the KO loss at that moment. It's the damage he does moving forward. And it doesn't seem like anybody's concerned about it. You know, Diego Sanchez, Diego needs to stop. Anthony, Anthony, Anthony Pettis needs to stop. I haven't heard one person say Chris Weidman needs to at least take a break, if not stop fighting. They just, he got robbed. They should, they should run it back. What fight were y'all watching? Chris Weidman was getting beat the fuck up in the second round. He wasn't losing. He wasn't in a tightly contested fight. He was getting beat up. And then he got dropped and it was done. And every time about a rematch, did y'all? I, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I'm concerned about him. I'm not even a fan of his and I'm concerned, but everybody else seems more concerned about him getting a rematch. And at this point, I don't know what Musashi might do to him in a rematch. Ho hopefully Musashi will leave and he won't have to deal with him. 
but everybody else in the division is capable of knocking him out. All the guys he would have to face are capable of knocking him out. And I swear, I don't think he beats Anderson still right now. If I'm Anderson, I ask for Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman will take the fight because he thinks he can beat Anderson. Anderson's got a better chin than Chris Weidman right now. Anderson stops Chris Weidman if they fight right now. I guarantee you. It this is some strong words, sir. He stops them. This is the first round. He will stop him before the third round is up. Weidman will get dead tired, and he will stop him. Anderson's beat a top ten rank, a top ranked guy recently. When when's the last ranked guy that, that Weidman? You no, know, Derek Brunson was a fluke. You, we can call it a fluke. Anderson somehow found a way against a guy who was ten years, fifteen years younger than him to make it three rounds with that, and he took big shots. And he wasn't wobbling all over the place. And Brunson's a harder hitter than Musasi. He took those shots. He wasn't wobbling. He made it three rounds. Chris Weidman couldn't make it a round and a half against Musasi. He couldn't make it a round and a half. And he only took punishment for, what, a minute? A minute and a half of that round? He really took punishment? He couldn't take a minute and a half worth of punishment? He didn't have the skills to make Musasi hesitate? He, didn't, he wasn't good enough to make Musasi hesitate? He wasn't good enough to counter him? He wasn't good enough to get away from his strikes? He wasn't tough enough to take him? I mean, right now, their last two fights, which one looked better, Anderson or Weidman? Uh, um, Anderson definitely did. I don't trying to be mean. I'm just saying. I mean, he, he I, I think he fights Anderson right now. Anderson stops him. They can talk, call me crazy. If he takes that fight with Anderson, Anderson will stop him. So that's oh, let's I talk think. about some other things. You know, you, you mentioned passing a test, which is a very – Good term to use for Charles Oliveira. Oliveira passed a big test in Will Brooks, and he made it look easy, submitting um, the former Bellator champion in what was it, two minutes or something like that. So, uh, what did you think about that? I, I'm I'm not surprised that he got the win. I'm not surprised he got the submission win. I was surprised he got it that quickly. What were you, what, what were your thoughts about how that fight went down? The first thing I thought when I saw that fight, and this is. I talk to some people who, who deal with some of these fighters who, who can't or spar with them, whatever, ask me what my opinion of Will Brooks was. And my initial opinion was he's improving. He, he's more, he's not a finisher, but he's a smart, control-based, deliberate fighter. But he depends too much on his athleticism and his stand-up defense and his takedown defense can be shoddy. And his submission defense, in my opinion, depends too much on his toughness and his strength and his athleticism to get him by. I mean, he said, no, no, you don't know. Brooks is so technical. He's so control-based. He's so defensively responsible. You're just not, you're not giving, you're not giving him a fair shot. First thing I thought was I never should have listened to that person because the same thing I said about Brooks two years ago, completely exposed. On there looked like a brand new man at 155. He didn't just he smoked him. Any way you he grown man him. Any way you think I've ever seen anybody get their hands on Will Brooks around like that. It wasn't even close. Will, Will Brooks is supposed to be a good wrestler. He's supposed to have good defensive, be good in the clinch. Oliveira did whatever he wanted to him, took him down and finished him. Now, Will Brooks was going to get taken down and put in an inferior position. I would have said, yeah, Oliveira is going to submit him. But never in my wildest dreams did I see Oliveira getting his hands on him. I, I just I could not have pictured that in a million years. And that's why that's what I said last week. I said, control him, beat him up in the clinch, take him down. He'll defend his chins, but he'll 
That's the thing, too. And he's getting better on the feet as well. We never really got the chance to see that. It was a step in, body lock, a big dump, and right to the back. Um, so I'm, I'm, in my opinion, I think that this is more of a um, – it speaks better to – Oliveira than it does against Brooks. Uh, it, great, it does not look good for Brooks at all, but I think that Weidman's, oh, excuse me, I think that Oliveira's size and strength kind of caught him off guard. And the fact that Oliveira didn't have to make that weight cut, he's still a big lightweight too as well. Um, he had the, he had the height and the range uh, against Brooks. And I think avoiding that weight cut um, did a lot for him in the, in this fight here. And we're seeing it more and more, you know, we, we saw it in Anthony Johnson's career as well too, how detrimental that light, that weight cut can be to your long-term viability as a fighter. And here it is Oliveira who, um, looked bad his last fight where he struggled to miss weight. He, uh, made weight. He looked bad. Well, he looked better in the fight before that, but he didn't make weight as well. So seeing him at lightweight and seeing him talk about, you know, he still wants to go back down to 145 to get another crack at Max Holloway. I get it. I understand you want to get that win back. Um, you want to get, be at your best when you face the best. But maybe he should think about staying and sticking around at 155, which is actually where he got his start in the UFC. I think he has an opportunity there. Yeah, I, I, if I was him, I wouldn't cut that way. He hasn't really looked good. At um at featherweight since he's been down there he's had a lot of stoppage losses, taking shots very well and he hasn't looked nearly as dynamic or strong as he looked in that fight against Brooks. I mean, I, he's gonna do what he wants to do, but it's hard. It's one of the situations where you sit there and you're like, what is his management? What is his camp letting him do? When you see him look that good, and then you're telling me he's gonna go back to the weight that he's looked just terrible at for the past year and a half, and he's missed weight almost every time that way for what you know it, it exactly I mean, for it, what brooks i know people say it doesn't look like a bad look bad loss this is a terrible loss charles Oliveira hasn't really looked good in like like not really looked good in a year now he hasn't looked this dominant in a couple of years and he walked through brooks brooks was a big signing brooks has been given matchups and kind of minimize don't really focus on his weaknesses I mean, Oliveira was a fight he should have won. Ross Pearson was a fight more or less he won, and he should have won. Even the Cowboy Oliveira, if Cowboy Oliveira makes 155, I think Will Brooks would have beat him. I think he missed weight on purpose to have that advantage. But he's been given favorable matchups to get him familiar with the fans and to build his brand, build his name, and to get him on a win streak. And so then he comes out in yet another favorable matchup, and he gets smoked. And there's no weight issue now. There's no he was bigger than he was supposed to be. There's no he didn't make weight and handle an outclass point blank, point blank period. So I don't know how this isn't a huge, huge loss for him. I don't know how to spin it. How do you, how do you spin it? What's Oliveira like on a two fight losing streak, three fight losing streak? How do you spin that? How do you spin that loss? Uh, he was on a, I think he was, I think he went one and one in his last two. Well, from what I remember, he, he didn't look very good in any, either one of those fights. It's just it's just a bad loss because he was a big signing and people thought he had finally come into his own. And uh, this is a big setback. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to spend this. And that's two losses in a row. And um, I mean, he could, I guess he can try for a quick turnaround, but uh, this is not what the UFC expected when they signed him. And I can't imagine this is what he expected when he got signed to the UFC either. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be. Um... It's it's definitely a gut check time for him. When he's gone, what one and. In- 
one, two, one and two since joining the organization. It's funny, his career, he has gone the way I thought Eddie Alvarez's career was going to go. Yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah. Now, as you say it, people thought Eddie Alvarez was gonna was too old and and was just gonna get smoked. And Eddie Alvarez put together a win streak and won a title. And Will Brooks is is one and two. And the way he lost those two fights, he lost those fights in his specialty. He was out wrestled and beaten up by Oliveira, and he was out wrestled and submitted by Oliver by uh, by the Bronx. He was out, in his area of strength, he got outclassed and outworked in his area of strength. So it, it just makes the loss look even worse. So I, they they got to take a step back. He's got to get something straight, and he's got to decide because he's nowhere near top 15 right now. This, this is – and emphasize how bad a loss this is for him. Anybody else is going to tell you it's not it's – it's a very bad loss. Definitely is. So do you – what do you do with Oliveira? Do you tell him to try to do you try to convince him to stay at 155, or do you allow him to move back down? You can't make him. The, the UFC can't make him do anything. He's gonna do what he wants to do. If he wants to move back down, I guess he'll move back down. If he wants to stay up, I guess he'll stay up. I would think his team would at least explore him staying up because, like I said, he's missed weight in quite a few featherweight fights. So I don't understand the point of that struggling to make the weight, draining himself, still missing the weight, costing himself money and then getting in a fight and getting beat up. It seems counterproductive. He looked at this fight. Oh, it definitely is counterproductive. Yeah, and not just for the short term, for the long term of his career. That stuff catches up to you. Taking abuse when you're dehydrated and drained, that's, that's not good for your career. But if he wants to do it, I guess he's going to. I don't know why he would do it after this fight. I would at least give it another shot at 55. And if you win, until you lose at 55 again, keep going at 55. We'll, we'll, have to, we'll revisit it. If you lose at 55, then we'll revisit featherweight. Until then, keep fighting. That that would be my suggestion. But um, if he says he's going back to featherweight, then I guess he's more than likely going back to featherweight. Yeah, that's that's well. I mean, we'll see what happens. I hope he stays at 155, and I hope he finds some success. He's someone I definitely enjoy watching. Um, what else did you see from UFC 210 that stood out to you and uh, caught your eye? Uh, well, just on a personal note, I wrote a piece on uh, – Caitlin Chukagian, one of Mark Henry's uh, fighters, and Irene Aldana, who was one of the uh, another had who brought in from the bringing that that Hispanic demographic with a lot of fanfare and a lot of attention. And that fight essentially went the way I thought it was. Chukagian's footwork, her feints, her jab, and her activity was a little bit too much. And uh, as for Aldana, she's actually a good fighter. She's very physically gifted. She's big. She's strong she's fast she hits hard she's the kind of fighter that if she pushes she's fine but if somebody pushes back she doesn't seem to know how to react and every time she's had an opponent push back on her or punch with her and put pressure on her she hasn't won yet she lost against tanya evinger she lost against leslie smith and even against uh chukagan who's not a big hitter and throws a lot of variety of strikes um she essentially st stopped counter punching or leading with her offense once the other person refused to back up and kept firing back. And that's a big flaw that almost any fighter can exploit. And she's had them exploited by two girls who aren't big hitters in the division. So for all her technical skill and her athletic skill, she has this huge flaw about how to react under pressure. And it, it doesn't bode well for her if she's going to make any sort of headway in the UFC because all you have to do is punch back. You want to beat her? Take what she has to offer and punch back, and you're going to win. 
because her last two fights were lost because the other person refused to let her bully them. Once they stopped letting her bully them, she started losing. And and uh, I personally, that was rewarding for me because I wrote about that. Uh, the other fight, the uh, Cynthia Cavillo and Pearl Gonzalez fight, I thought that was going to be a little bit more competitive. And Cavillo just smoked her. That was a really impressive performance. I know Pearl Gonzalez isn't highly ranked, but um, uh, Cavillo's made the most of her opportunity. She's had two main cards, and she's looked dominant in each main card fight. And she actually shows a little bit of craft and awareness that her uh, former teammate, Paige Van Zandt, never showed. So um, I'm going to start thinking that Paige Van Zandt might be losing her spot as a media darling with the UFC because not only is she not winning, she's fighting and has that sports fans behind her that commit that could really turn her into the next big star in the division. Well, you know, you said something about teammate. Van Zandt is not at Team Alpha Mo Team Alpha Mo anymore. More. Oh yeah, she did leave, didn't she? Yep. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. I'm not speculating, but um she's not there anymore. Cavia's a better technical fighter. I mean, I don't know if she's the athlete that Van Zandt is, but as far as actual functional applicable technique Cavillo is a superior fighter right now. I mean, she shows some real, some real awareness and real grappling chops. And even though she's not super sharp with her, super super sharp sharp with her striking, she she's making the strategically responsible moves on the feet. You know, she beat a girl who could really fight. I mean, her first two opponents were better than the first two opponents that Paige Van Zandt have a chance to be a force in the division if she can keep on moving like this because she's. She's better skilled than a lot of fighters in there right now. I think she really can do something. So that was the that was the other biggest thing I noticed about it. And um, if she can ever get the Hispanic Mexican fans behind her, it's a wrap, man. She'll be huge. If she can ever get them behind her, she'll be one of the top biggest, top 10, top seven stars in the UFC because those fans are rabid about their combat sports. That's definitely true there. Um, is there anything else that stood out to you from uh, UFC 210? Anything else that caught your eye at the end of the day? Dominic Cruz and uh, Joe Rogan work really well together. Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier, not so much. Dominic Cruz and Joe Rogan, styles and their tones and how they approach things really meshes very well. They, they were excellent, in my opinion, on commentary. Yeah, they, they definitely did do very well. I definitely liked how their um, commentary, especially through the Mosasi Weidman situation, it was good um, through and through, and I liked what I heard there. Um, let's look at UFC. Uh, so let's let's look at UFC on, on Fox 24, and then we'll come back to the Bellator event later on. Um, here we have Demetrius Johnson chasing history as he looks to win his... Um, 10th title defense in a row. This will be number 10 as he faces Wilson Hayes. He's a big uh, favorite coming into the um, to the fight this weekend. How do you see this this fight going? Um, it's hard not to pick Johnson. I mean, Wilson Hayes is a good fighter. The main advantage he has is on the ground. The better athletes in the division. But it's just hard seeing Johnson is just, he's got a depth of skill. He's good in every area. He can he didn't just transition to every area. He's effective in every area. Dominated in any one area. Even when a guy has a strength over him, that, that guy doesn't dominate him in that area. And nobody can either keep him in one spot, really challenge him. And once they if they can, they can't dominate him in the area. And I don't know what 
Johnson's going to do, to be quite honest. I, I really see Johnson just winning a decision. I don't know if he's going to finish. I don't know if he's going to win the decision. I don't know what he's going to submit him, knock him out. Picture way of him losing because I haven't seen anything from Wilson that says he can put Demetrius Johnson in the spots that are gonna he needs to put him in to beat him. And I haven't seen anything from him that says he can put that kind of that kind of pace and that aggression that uh Timothy Elliott did against Johnson. You have to if you have a really high motor, you can keep pressure on him, you can be super active, you might have a chance. But spots and then doesn't fight in others and that's not going to work because Johnson's always working from every single angle and every single area of MMA so I, I just essentially I figure it'll be dangerous for the first the full two rounds but um after that he should figure him out and uh, from that point on he's either just going to beat him up and out out point him or he's going to finish him I don't know which way he's going to go but that's the way I see it yeah, I definitely have Johnson. I'm definitely picking uh, Demetrius to win this bout as well. Hayes may have some success early, uh, as you mentioned, but I just don't think that he'll be able to um, he'll be able to keep the pace going for someone who's as technically sound and as dangerous as uh, as Johnson is in so many different areas. Yeah. One side note: I know people saw that that, that Elliot fight, the Elliot Johnson fight on the top final, thinking they saw something. Like, look, I saw something. Look how. He's big and he's strong and case. It wasn't his size and his strength. It wasn't even his technique. The thing is, Elliot's very unorthodox. He's very, he'll take a huge risk of being finished to make the fight exciting or to get a chance to finish you wrestling and striking style. So his athleticism, they may have his size. What they don't have is his car. Pace defensively that hard for five rounds, and they also don't have an unorthodox style. He's more of a technical guy in his striking and in his grappling. The guys that Johnson is very good against because he's these things down. And if you're going to stick to the orthodox techniques in the way of doing things, that's he he has answers for all those questions. The thing that made Elliot difficult is because Elliot the wrong things. Elliot's giving up an arm and fighting out of submission. He's putting his head in the guillotine and fighting his way out. He's taking a bad shot, facing it, and eventually he gets a takedown. Those aren't the things you can necessarily teach a guy. That's something you have or you don't have. Those are risks you'll take or you won't be willing to take. Wilson's not willing to take those risks. Wilson's more of a classical fighter, and I'm a purely classical technical fighter. Just give him enough time, he figures you out. And when you're classical and you do everything fundamentally, there's nothing to figure out you're very obvious it's a matter of whether you can do it well enough and i don't think wilson can do everything well enough to be too predictable at some point johnson will figure him out and once he figures him out it's over for him yeah i definitely think that it's going to kind of go it'll be a lot of haste early in the fight then it'll probably go straight downwards from there let's talk about this co-main event with michelle watterson and rose nama Yunus. a lot of people are picking nama Yunus to win um, I definitely understand why she's a favorite. She's a bigger fighter. Uh, I think Watterson may be more technically sound on the feet, but Nama Yunus will have the range, and um, she's definitely better on, on the ground. She's a very, she's a very calculated grappler, in my opinion. She's not as aggressive as um, the woman who won on UFC 210, but she's definitely very technical in her her jujitsu. So I can see her being able to play the position game on the ground. But um, I want to talk about this fight in two different points. You know, 
Waterson is the focal point here. Uh, I think the UFC is kind of trying to hitch their wagon to her. She's a beautiful woman. She's a mom. She's very, she's very funny. She's very, she has such a great personality. Everybody loves her. You know, that's where she gets the name the Karate Hottie from. And you know, even before UFC, before Strike Force, she was a name in women's MMA. So you know, it's it's interesting to see how it's kind of come full circle. And here it is, the Octagon or UFC is trying to kind of hitch their wagon to her at this point in time. But Rose was supposed to be that one. She was the one before Paige Van Zandt. She was the one before Michelle. She was the one before Pearl and all, all these other women who are there now. And she's kind of, and I'm not saying she's, you know, she shaved her head. She's just kind of gone in off, off the radar. She's been doing her thing, just getting better. Um, I, I, my opinion is I don't think that this is a fight that the, that the UFC loses either way. They get a star either way. Um, I think that they would have a harder harder time building Rose into that star that Michelle's kind of already become. But either way, I think the promotion wins. From a fight standpoint, I'm leaning towards Nami Yunus just because of what I've mentioned. You know, I think the size, the strength, and the grappling would just be a little bit too much for um, Michelle. Um, part of the, I mean, the mom thing and all that stuff, that's very, that's all well and good. I actually wrote a piece about somebody in Bellator, but I included Michelle Watterson in this because me, me and you have stated this before. It's not just about how good you are, who you be. It's your, your appeal and your potential for crossover stardom, your, your appeal to certain demographics. Michelle Watterson is a great mom. She's a true martial artist. But guess what? There are lots of women who aren't as attractive as her, who are true martial artists and good moms. They're not getting these opportunities. Nope. And that, that, that's from that position. That's, I mean, also think about this. How many girls have been fighting the UFC and are intelligent and can break down fights? Why didn't they get put behind the desk? Um, Watterson's had two fights in the UFC. She's been injured more majority of her career in the UFC, but she's behind the desk. And I'm one of the people who vouched for her and said she should be put behind the desk. I'm one, I'm one of those people. But as far as her appearance and her regularity, Who does who should who should other than her? Now on to the actual fight. You're you're I, you're breaking up a little bit there, sir. I think there's other people who an opportunity behind the desk other than not other than Watterson, but because Watterson comes across a certain way, very polite, very safe, she's attractive, doesn't see that as lying or blind. That makes all those other aspects a little bit more appealing. You know, she's a good mom. It doesn't hurt that she's an attractive mom. She's a real martial artist. It doesn't hurt that she's a very attractive martial artist. Let's not deny those sort of things. So that played a part, in my opinion, in her getting this fight as well and getting the opportunity she's gotten in the UFC, which brings me to the actual fight. She's the better striker. She's the more seasoned, senior striker, and she's competed a lot longer than Nama Yunus is. She's got like twice as many fights as Nama Yunus. But the thing about this, but the thing that kind of makes me lean towards Nama Yunus isn't a matter of so much as skill. She's not a true straw weight. We've already addressed that she's smaller. She's not as physical. She's not as big. But nobody's addressed the one elephant in the room. She hasn't really had that many wins in straw weight. She beat Paige Van Zandt, who was ranked. But nobody considers her a really skilled, tenured, legitimately ranked world-class fighter. No one. No one considers it. You can't find someone who really considers her that kind of fighter. And she beat Angela Mangana, who is not anywhere near ranked and has gotten beaten up in every fight she's had against somebody of a legitimate quality and caliber. Those are the only two people she's beaten. 
And if she, if Paige Van Zandt would have fought with some urgency and fought the way she normally fights, it wouldn't have been that easy to fight. Paige Van Zandt was having an identity crisis and decided she was going to have a range kickboxing match with a girl who's been range kickboxing for like 10 to 12 years, almost 20, maybe even 20 years. I don't know how long. I, I forgot. So Paige Van Zandt, who nobody thinks of as a technician or the smartest of smartest and more IQ and strategically aware fighters and somebody who was having identity crisis as to how she's going to approach fights got dominated by Waterston and finish. And she fought Angela Magana, the epitome of a journeyman, journeywoman in combat sports. So who is she really beaten to earn a, earn a fight with Nami Yunus? I know Nami Yunus is coming off a loss, but Nami Yunus is coming off a loss to another ranked strawweight who fought for the title. It's to get three fights in a row and beating beating a ranked person. Um, Watterson's biggest win was over somewhat what most people consider a media creation in Paige Van Zandt. And now she's fighting Nama Yunus. Nama Yunus has just faced better competition at strawweight. And Nama Yunus has been the more active fighter. And I can agree with you on that. Um, again, it's, it's interesting that you bring this up. As you talk about Watterson's attractiveness and how that kind of led her to get this fight. Because I said the same thing about... Um, Gonzalez and um, uh, Caravillo, whoever, whatever her name is, I can't remember her name to save my life. But the two women that fought last week, and you, you, you likened it more to the Hispanic combat sports demographic. I, I, I would never downplay the fact that their looks matter. Looks do matter. I even mentioned in my article because you made a legitimate point. They are both very attractive. I'm never going to act like that. That that's not a factor. But I was just saying the combat sports fans. If you can ever get them into MMA, the boxing fans from from Mexico, the Mexican fans, Hispanic fans, it's all over. Whether you're attractive or not, when they buy into you, they buy into you. Now it doesn't hurt that they're not they're attractive, but if they were unattractive girls who had who had potential crossover, who had the potential to bring that base over, they would still put them on the card. With with Watterson, Watterson doesn't have a huge base. Like she doesn't have a huge fan base. I mean, among among. To be quite honest, among anybody, I think I'm, I, I, I would disagree with you about that there because karate, like, like just the name, the karate hottie was was someone who was gaining attention. I think even before Invicta really came around. I mean, I remember there were features on her about when I worked at ESPN originally. There were features about the karate hottie well before that. There were features on on even um, Gina Carano or Misha Tate. Is she known or is she famous? Because you can be known by a lot of people and not really be famous. You can be in the NBA and you're a known player. It doesn't mean you're a famous star player. You're just I, I don't I, I think that that changed a lot when she started having her um injury spell, even when she was back in Invicta and she was the Adam Weight champion. I think that that's what changed that a lot. Um, and now she's more of a she's more of a hardcore name for people who know the sport as opposed to the mainstream name. But she was definitely headed in that direction because she was featured in. I mean, and this again, this is kind of this this is kind of akin more to her levels of attractiveness. But she was on magazine covers before Invicta. She was featured in a lot of different magazines and in a lot of different sports outlets. Granted, it would be a lot of it would be like bikini type photo shoots for us like oh this is a beautiful woman who happens to fight MMA but there like there's that whole background that comes with her into this fight which is why I think it's so interesting that it took the UFC so long to get on her um to, to hitch their wagon to her in this way. 
did it take them so long or was she constantly hurt so they can kind of push her you know because i don't think that has i think that even though even though she was hurt bpvz and she got a fight with a range she got a really tough she know she was nowhere near a title fight and um waterton fights her and they're like they were talking about possibly putting her in a title fight right away they i mean has she has she made a statement and called somebody out after her fight she might have gotten a title fight we talked about that on the show like has she called out um Jadrick? she might have gotten a title fight they wanted something to sell they wanted something to sell they wanted something that kind of had some kind of appeal all she had to do was say the name and she might have been in that title fight instead of carolina uh carolina it's possible i'll give you an example of why like uh, i'll give you an, an example of of someone else who I'll give you an example for like like this is how I look at it. The UFC has already hitched their wagon to Mackenzie Dern. She hasn't even stepped into the octagon in any way, shape, or form. She's had two professional fights. She's already signed to a UFC contract, and she's already doing UFC media. This woman has never stepped in front of the octagon in any way, shape, or huh? She hasn't made weight either. She hasn't made weight either, and the UFC's already hitched their wagon to her with pay not Paige Van, excuse me, with um. Michelle Watterson, they could have put her on on in these in, in in like the Fox Sports um media roles if they if they chose to earlier. They did not. Granted, I think I do believe her injuries kind of did play a part in that because it kept her out of competition a little bit longer. But the UFC still could have done what they're doing with like with like a McKenzie Dern with Watterson a long time ago. Yeah, I can I mean clearly. Clearly, when Waterton was signed, she was she was signed back when the UFC was owned by fight promoters. The UFC is now owned by an entertainment company, which means, like you said last week, there's a different point in emphasis in things. They're trying to maximize pay-per-views, maximize ratings, which means people who have appeal, have a look, appeal to a demographic, or have an appealing style are going to get pushed. And it doesn't matter how great a fighter you are, you are not getting pushed until you show us that you can generate some kind of interest, some kind of reaction. Whether they hate you or they love you, they want to sleep with you or they want to beat you up. You need to be able to generate an emotion in people. And if you do, we're going to push you. Because now, like you said last week, an entertainment company, an entertainment company is running things now. So their point of emphasis is a little bit different than Dana's and the Vertigia. They, they, they play that game a little bit, but WME is playing it 100%. It is clear what they're going for. It is clear who they're pushing. People have a look, people have a style, people who come off a certain kind of way. And with Watterson, and I, I've said this before about women's MMA, some people get mad at me. I, I'm a fan of women's MMA. I write so much about it. I tweet about it. But let's put it like this. When you have men fighters, part of men being in sports, part of the appeal for women is if you're in football, basketball, you're physically dominating somebody. You're bigger, you're stronger, you're faster. That plays up to the angle of, Men being protector, a man being a man being strong and powerful and assertive and control and alpha male, you might say. It's not attractive to most men that your girlfriend or your sister can beat you up. It might be cool. It's not a selling point. What sold Ronda Rousey was, and she's attractive. Michelle Watterson, it could kick your butt, but she's also easy on the eyes. That's always the the balancing act they do with it because. Selling a girl who can just beat up a bunch of men or could possibly beat up men, that isn't going to draw the demographic in they want. They push the girls who have an appeal. Otherwise, Tanya, if they didn't, Tanya Evinger would be getting pushed. But she's not. And we all know why she's not getting pushed. Yeah, that, I could definitely get you on that. 
How do you think this this fight um, plays out? It basically, I wrote a piece on this. Should be coming out this week, if not right on Saturday. Essentially, it comes down to whether Rose Namajunas is really turned the corner. When she fought Asparza, she was fighting wild. She was in unorthodox technique. She wouldn't set things up. There was no discipline. There was no rhyme. There was no reason. It was all highlight, real offense. And it got her exposed, taken down, beat up, and finished. After that loss, she started, Trevor whipped her into shape, and she started fighting with discipline, poise, self-control, and deliberate controlled aggression. That jab came out, one of the best jabs in MMA. She started throwing the right hand behind it. Her her grappling game, while still unorthodox, was set up with traditional disciplined striking that allowed her those entries to get those takedowns, to beat you up, or to finish you. It was all very systematic. It was still dynamic, but it was systematic. It was process-driven, and it was very technical and very defensively responsible. Again, when she fought Carolina, she had a clear advantage, was beating her up with a jab, beating her up at range, turning her, running her into shots, picking her off, making her chase her. Then she went for that clinch. She didn't get that takedown, and instead of abandoning that approach or using a takedown attempt to get into position to land a couple strikes and exit back out at an angle, she started fighting for the takedown. She started forcing the takedown. She never got it. She got beat up, and by the time she started trying to readjust back to what was working, she already taken too much damage. The, the momentum of the fight had already turned, and she got slowly walked down by Carolina. The question is, is Nama Yunus the disciplined, poised, and controlled fighter we saw on that three-fight win streak, or is she going to be someone who's a front runner who can't make an adjustment the minute the fight go, go, goes against script? Because if she's a front runner still, if she hasn't made that that fundamental change, Watterson's going to Watterson's going to ding her up on the feet. If she has made that fundamental change, if she's going to be aware, aware of what the what her opponent's giving her, if, she, if she's prepared for her opponent to fight back and she's going to stick to a disciplined game plan and use all the tools instead of just getting hung up on, a, on an egotistical battle of I can do this and I can get you here and I can finish you now. If she fights to win instead of fighting to finish, she'll beat Watterson. Watterson has holes. Watterson is another front runner. She has not faced a girl who's really tested her in the UFC. She hasn't faced the test in almost two years. She's had easy wins against one-dimensional, athletically limited fighters. And as I stated before, when she fought Paige Van Zandt, the reason I thought Van Zandt was going to beat her, Watterson, as good a striker as she is, constantly falls into clinches, or when she gets in the pocket, she she over-pursues him. She starts reaching for him. A good fighter can take a step back and check hook her, hit her with an uppercut, back her up, hit her with a hook, jab her, whatever, reestablish the range, and chip her up. A really smart fighter will see her overextending, take her down, and beat her within an inch of her life. Because Watterson's ground game don't don't let that fight against Van Zant fool you. Yeah, Van Zant lasted against Nam Yunus, but that was a different Van Zant. That Van Zant was ready for war and was not going to give up worth anything. This Van Zant was, was going through the motions. If Watterson falls into a clinch or overextends, Nam Yunus has got her. She cannot grapple Nam Yunus. I don't believe she can out wrestle her, and I don't think she can physically match up with her strength for strength, shot for shot. But the question is, will Nam Yunus? be focused and be willing to go through a difficult fight or is she going to cave in the minute it gets tough. I believe she's turned the corner and I believe she's going to win the fight. But if she, if she resorts back to what she did before with Carolina and what she did with Esparza, it'll be over and it'll be over quick. Otherwise I, I think she stops. I think she stops Watterson. I don't think Watterson's as durable as her. I don't think Watterson's as strong as her. I know Watterson's not a better grappler. And even though she's the more tenured and skilled striker, uh, Nama Yunus has faced better strikers. Her jab is legit. 
her jab is really good, and Nami Yunus isn't a big hitter. She might make mistakes, but Nami Yunus isn't the type of girl who just stuns girls and really hurts them. I mean, even when she hit Van Zant, Van Zant panicked because she was getting hit clean a lot. I don't think she's really hurting her. I don't think Van. I don't think Waterston is really a big hitter. I mean, I, I just really don't believe it. I think Nami Yunus is just gonna wear down with her size and her deliberate aggression, and that jab's gonna be a factor in her trip body lock takedowns are going to be huge factors i think she's going to get one and when she does i think she finishes i don't think i don't think waterson's good enough defensively on the ground and i don't think she hits for enough power on the feet but once again it's is waterson prepared to go through a little bit of a battle to win or is she thinking i'm just gonna walk through her if she thinks she's gonna walk through her it might be a rough night if she's prepared to go to war with her but only if she's prepared Ford to be tough. But if she's not, then we're gonna see the same thing she does again. We'll have a meltdown. I think it's I think it's gonna be um an interesting fight here because I, I, I if I personally feel like for Waterson to win, I think Lama Yunus needs to make a series of mistakes. Um, and I just feel like for some reason she seems like she's in a better place that that won't happen. Now, then again, you know, this has been said in the past and people make mistakes whenever they step into the cage. I mean, it could be something as minor as stepping to the left when you should have stepped to the right and your night can be over. So we, we won't need know until Saturday comes around. But um, I understand why so many people are picking uh, Waterson to win. I think she's the uh, plus 120 underdog to a minus 110 favorite for um, Nami Yunus. And I can, I can rock with those numbers. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not too mad about that. You make one good point. If Nami Yunus, Nami Yunus lose has to make a series of mistakes, even when she lost to Carolina or lost to Esparza because she's so talented and so skilled, she had to make a series of mistakes to lose. In my opinion, if, if Watterson makes one or two mistakes, it's done. She can't afford to make a series of mistakes. I think that Nomius can make a series of mistakes and still come back. I think Waterson makes a series of mistakes. It's definitely over. I think she makes one, she makes the wrong one or two mistakes, and it's it's done. I think, I think Namiunis has more room for error, more margin for error in this fight physically and technically. I don't think Waterson has very much room for error. I think she needs to fight the best fight she's ever fought, and a perfect fight. If she fights a fight she fought against Jessica Panay, she won't beat. She will not beat Rose Namiunis. If she fights the fight she fought against. Uh, Mangana. Mangana took her down and had her in a little bit of trouble. She fights that fight against Nami Yunus. She will not win. She's got to fight flawlessly. And I don't think she can do it. I, I might be wrong. I don't think it's going to happen, though. So let's keep moving down the card. And then we have also, we have uh, we have a I'm sorry? Robert Whitaker and um, Jacare, yes. I surprisingly, I just read a preview that has Jacare losing this fight uh, via unanimous decision because of a number of different reasons. Well, how do you see this fight uh, breaking down? I remember when Jacare was going to fight Tim Boach. You said you and Jacare, you're right. I said I was going with Boach. The reason I said that is because I saw Marcus Davis. He never explained to us what he saw, but I'm, I'm going to make an assumption. What he saw was the fact that Jacare has lost a step. He's not a great striker. A lot of his striking effectiveness has been based on people being fearful of his jujitsu and his athleticism. He's not the athlete he used to be. He's not great at cutting off the ring. He's really not great at cutting off the ring, especially in a big cage. He's not very good. His offensive footwork isn't that great. His defense is essentially the threat of a takedown and being finished. That's why guys don't open up on him because they're afraid that he's going to get his hands on him, drag him down, and the minute you touch the mat, it's over. Ask Tim about that. When it touched the mat, it was over. But on the feet, 
Tim was able to kind of get out of position him, land a couple of shots. I really believe that Tim would have used the kind of a front kick. He could have opened up Jacare for the hands. And unfortunately for Jacare, Robert Whitaker is very good at using that front kick to the face or the body to get to create space to land his jab or to land that left hook. And the thing about it is that front kick, whether you're using it as a teep, using it as a snap kick, or using it as a normal front kick, the round kicks to the body and the leg, you can grab onto those and take someone down because of the motion of it. It's swinging into you. Even if it lands really hard, a guy can grab onto it and attempt to drag you down. The front kicks, the teeps, the push kicks, the snap kicks, those are straight down the line. Those are linear. It is hard to catch a linear strike. Catching a hook, if I throw a wild hook, you might catch it and take me down. If I throw a jab, how hard is it for you to slip a jab and grab onto my arm and control it to drag me down? It's very hard. It's in and out. It's back and forth. That can control range. That can slowly cut away someone's gas tank because that, that shot you're landing to the body, it's not with the shin or the foot. It's with the ball of the foot. You can pinpoint the accuracy of the shot, and you can really punch a hole in someone's gas tank, and it disrupts their forward pressure. You can't come in on me because you start pressuring too much. I throw that kick out. Boom, it knocks you back throws you off rhythm. So you either have to reset or you rush in. If you rush in, I got that hook ready for you. I might have a straight shot ready for you. If you back up, you're at the range I want, I can escape and we can reset again in the center of the cage. So I think Whitaker actually has the advantage because he's much, he's got much better footwork than Tim Boach at this point. He's a better athlete. And even though Boach is a hit, heavier hitter, Whitaker's a more explosive and snappier puncher at this point. And if Boach was able to outposition him and control him with footwork and movement, I think Whitaker can do the same. Now, if it hits the ground, then we know what's going to happen. But the question is, can Whitaker do enough damage on the feet before it gets to the ground that'll make a difference? And the best thing about Whitaker is even though he's technical and he's very precise, he's willing to let it go. He's willing to throw his hands. He's willing to look for the knockout. He could have fought Derek Brunson and picked him apart, picked him apart, and ran and picked him apart. But when Derek Brunson came, came looking for it, Robert Whitaker gave it to him at every turn. Yeah, he was slipping. Yeah, he was countering. Yeah, he was parrying. But when he parried and he slipped, he came back throwing heat. He wasn't just picking away with front kicks and the kicks of the leg. He came back throwing heat. And if Jacare comes in trying to pressure, which he's going to, and he comes in too hard and he bites on a feint or, or he gets stuck in a range, Whitaker will go to put him away for the night. And I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think Jacare is the athlete he used to be. His footwork has never been spectacular. Watch that rock hole fight again. He couldn't get a hold of Raquel. He couldn't cut He couldn't cut the cage off on him. He couldn't corner him. He couldn't even get in position to throw a combination. And Rockhold's footwork isn't great. His boxing isn't as, half as good as Whitaker's. I think Whitaker, I think Whitaker stops him. I think he outslicks him early, and a Jacare gets a little tired, gets a little while, and he gets he gets put away. That's some, man, that's some great breakdown there. Um, definitely a different I, take. I'll be... I, 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 I I do a little bit of work on these, man. I'll just be saying this. I'll be doing a little bit of work on these. So. That's definitely a great take there, man. You don't even call him for a uh, Whitaker finish. So I, if 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 I see it happen, man, you'll be the first one to get the, the uh, shot out for it. You don't even call him for that, that, that finish. I was the only one who guaranteed Whitaker was going to knock out Brunson. I was like, Brunson's going to come in hot. He's not making it out of the round. Uh, whatever. Brunson's going to wrestle him. Brunson's going to fight smart. Yeah. Sure he will. Nothing. So... I'm, I gotta. I, I. It's just the way I see it. I, I see how you see it. I get how the other end of it, but you can't ignore the facts. You just can't ignore certain things in fight. You can't just look at the result. It's not like a basketball game. Whatever you watch a fight, you have to look at what happened throughout the fight. You can't just gauge things based off the result. Anybody can say, "Oh, 
he beat this guy. He MMA math doesn't work. The result doesn't work. You have to watch the fight. And in watching fights, Jacare isn't what he used to be. If you ask Marcus Davis, he'll tell you the same thing. If you ask anybody who says they know what they're talking about and they know what they're talking about, they're going to tell you he ain't the same guy. I'm not the only one saying it. I'm just the loudest one saying it. Mm-hmm. You're definitely, you're definitely um, true about that there. So what else from this uh, this series of fights stands out for you from this this coming weekend? And really, those are just the fights I really focus on because each of them has such a big impact in every division. I mean, even Demetrius Johnson isn't – his fights usually end up being fairly predictable. But, I mean, there's still a chance he could lose. And if he lost, that'd be like – that'd have to be legitimately, as far as technical skills, the biggest upset in UFC history. I mean – if Wilson beats him, that that's that's big. That's bigger than Brow beating losing to Dillashaw because Brow had shown clear flaws that you could take advantage advantage of. Johnson hasn't shown as many clear flaws. He's got flaws. He backs straight up into the fence. His footwork's not super tight. He's not the greatest wrestler. He's not the greatest grappler. But he he hasn't ever been really dominated in one area where you you could say you can guarantee a guy can get him in a spot and finish him. So for, if he loses to Wilson, uh, that's that's a big upset. That that probably be the best biggest upset I see. Not on name value, but as far as actual legitimate skills shown in the cage and possessed by the guy he, who's lost. That would be the biggest upset. And the other fights are just biggest big for the division. Whoever not, wins between Namunis and Watterson, that's the next strawweight challenger. After uh, uh, Joanna fights, um, I can't remember her name right now. When she defends her title last, and so all these fights have big title implications or huge ranking implications. So that's. Those are things that matter the most to me because I want good fights, but I want fights that have meaning and have importance. And every single one of those fights has meaning and importance in it. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely um definitely a I think and it's what's interesting about that this card you know it's not on pay per view. Johnson Johnson has had success in this Fox platform. I hope he has success now. He has a strong undercard as well to support him. So I, I'm wondering, you know, I think this is an opportunity for him to continue building his strength. He doesn't need to be a pay-per-view star as long as his deal is structured, structured in a way to include Fox in these platforms. I think he's, he's, he should be doing fine for himself. Well, not everybody. The thing that everybody understands, it's like not everybody's going to be rich. Not everybody's going to be LeBron James. You can be in the NBA and be successful and not be LeBron James. You can be in the NFL and be successful and not be Peyton Manning. Tony Romo's life isn't awful. He ain't no Peyton Manning. He ain't no Tom Brady. His life isn't that bad. And Demetrius Johnson gets paid good money. He's accomplishing the goals he has set for himself. He's considered the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. He's he's close to tying the record that he's always dreamed of tying. He's got a great wife. He provides a great lifestyle for his family. He gets to learn and help his teammates and help himself. You don't. He did. I don't know that he's really bothered by not being a superstar, and I don't think he necessarily has to be, as long as he's being treated respectfully by the organization and getting paid for the skills he's showing. Who cares? Not everybody's going to be a superstar. Not everybody resonates with fans. People got to stop getting hung up on looking what other people have and what other people get and focus on what you can get for yourself and maximizing that. And that's what he does. He maximizes the people who the, the opportunity he has is he, he gets and he maximize, maximizes the skills he has and the talents he has and the charisma he has. And he's happy with whatever comes from it. And more fighters should follow his lead instead of just constantly griping and whining about why I don't get what Connor gets. Focus on what you get. Stop worrying about the other guy. Focus on your craft, your brand, yourself. It's tired. I just get tired of hearing people whine and complain all the time. Demetri Johnson is one of the most even-tempered, balanced, well-adjusted fighters I have ever heard. 
read an interview of or heard an interview of. He's just so balanced and he gets it. And these other guys do not. And they're ruining their lives, ruining their records, trying to chase someone else's stick and act like Connor and act like Chael. Act like yourself. Act like yourself. Be the best yourself you can be and go from there. The same same thing everybody's parents tell you when you're young. Be the best. Raphael can be best. Schwan, you can be be the best. Demetrius Johnson, you can be. Let it let the rest of it fall into place, and you'll be fine. What do you think about um? This is, oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm kind of a little bit all over the place right now. So let's let's move on to Bellator. What is it? 177 this weekend. Yes. 177. Um, I'm only interested in, in, in the main event. Uh, well, it was a title fight. It's no longer a title fight because Haigo didn't make weight. But um, break down this fight between Datas and Haigo. A lot of people are like, who is this kid coming in and getting a title shot right out the gate? This dude might be the truth. I'm pissed that he didn't make weight. So if he wins, he's going to have to win again But to get that belt. But tell me um, what your thoughts are on this bantamweight fight. You know the funny thing about this? Dantas beat Wilson Hayes, and now Wilson Hayes is fighting for the UFC title while Dantas def- w- w- was defending his Bellator title. So that's really weird that you have a guy who beat the guy who's now challenging the pound-for-pound pound best guy in the world. That's just a weird, weird fact. Um, I really, I, I don't really know what to make of Higos now because once you miss weight, it either makes you really bold because you have nothing to lose because you're no longer fighting for a title, now you can sell out because you know if you win people are going to say it's tainted because you didn't make weight you didn't sacrifice if you you know if you if you lose you know people are going to say you're not professional that's why you didn't make weight and that's why you lost the fight so now he has nothing to lose he can go and sell out and do whatever he wants take whatever chances he wants to be Dantes and Dantes has been even though he's a, a dynamic technically and physically dynamic fighter he hasn't been very consistent he he's as hit or miss as anybody else in the world and, that, and that's the only concern I have for him. That's my concern when, when they announce this fight. He's not always mentally, in my opinion, always mentally checked in. He can, when fights get tough, he kind of checks out a little bit. Sometimes he gets a little too cocky or he seems a little bit too sure of himself. And um, given his track record, I don't think he has any reason to feel that way about himself at all. But he's done it before and it's cost him. So I really thought that um, even with the guy now not making the weight, I think he might even lose even more focus because it's not a title fight anymore. He loses. I mean, what does it really hurt him? I mean, it's a loss, but it doesn't really hurt anything. He's still the champion, and he'd have to rematch the guy anyways. And if he beats him, then all's good right back in the world. And I think that's how his mind works. I, I really can't say I know a lot about Higos. A lot of the focus I had was on Dantes because I was hoping that he would um, he kind of showed that he's really willing to become a name, like to start putting guys away in a fashion that allows him to be considered on a comparable level to the UFC guys. And now with the way the fight's going, I don't know what kind of mindset he's going to be in. I don't know if he's going to take it super seriously because it's no longer a title fight. I don't know how his opponent's going to take it because it's no longer a title fight. It's just situations like this aren't situations I'm a big fan of because it, it changes the stakes of the fight. And once the stakes change, everybody's motivation, drive, and what they're willing to do changes as a result as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I can definitely get get with you on that. I'm looking forward to this main event. I did not know that Dantas had that win over um, Hayes. I'm not sure how many more fights he has left, but I definitely think that he's someone that the UFC has has their eye eye on. Well, the the unfortunate thing for the UFC now is, you know, no, I mean... They're trying to save money, and 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 Bellator. If the UFC decides they're going to put an offer together, they have to know Bellator is going to match. 
I mean, it's 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 not the UFC no longer has that reputation of oh the UFC came calling. Well, of course you're gonna go. Now people are starting to think, well, how much are you gonna pay me? How many fights are you guaranteeing me? What kind of points and and credit am I gonna get? Where am I? Who am I gonna fight the first fight? They're starting to ask questions. You used to never ask questions of the UFC. It was just, hey, I'm going with you. Now people are like, well, I need to figure out exactly what what are you offering me? So it, it's no longer that uneven. That uneven, uneven matchup between Bellator and the UFC now. The UFC regressed, or you could say Bellator made a huge step forward. Either way, the gap is no longer as broad, and the UFC is going to have to start working to sign these guys instead of just saying, "Hey, we're the UFC, come fight with us." That doesn't work anymore. They don't, they don't have that kind of pull anymore in MMA, in my opinion. Yeah, I can definitely um, get with you on on that there. Let's look at some of the other news stories that have kind of went on from. This week we got some pretty fights. We got some pretty important fights um, mentioned. Uh, where we have actually before I go into that, did you see the story about Anthony Johnson trying to? Um, he's going back and forth about the UFC 210 weigh-ins. At first they were saying that they wanted Daniel Cormier stripped. Now they're saying they don't want him stripped of the title. Have Have you been following this? Is it him or is it his manager? Because I was under the impression it was his manager pulling this stuff. I think the manager began it, and then now Rumble's coming out saying that he doesn't want Cormier stripped, but he wants to know what happened at the um at at the weigh-ins. For those of y'all who don't know about Tilegate, um, Cormier was like a pound and a quarter over. He then walked away, came back, and he's kind of like leaning on the towel. It's an old wrestling trick. You lean on the towel a little bit to kind of lift yourself up a little bit off the scale. And he makes weight. You know, it is what it is. It's like Michael Jordan's famous line um, against the Jazz. You know, if it was a foul, did the refs call it? The refs didn't call it. He was allowed to fight. And he won the bout. I, I get, I mean, I guess, I mean, nothing against Anthony Johnson. I'm sure he's a good enough guy. But considering some of the stuff he's been involved in, if he's acting on some kind of moral ground, it it, it just looks like a bad look. And even if he, I mean, what does it matter? I rule. Based on the rules, I get why you want to know. Based on that, I get completely. But it doesn't change anything for you. You're still retired, and you still mailed it in. So what are you going to say? Because he came in overweight and somehow mentally frustrated you or broke you, and that's why you couldn't perform? Mm, I don't know if I'm buying that. I just don't, I just know what the purpose of it. What's what's the purpose of him doing it? If somebody can explain that to me, what, what he's getting out of it, then, then maybe I, I, I would support it. But I, I don't see the point of it. It just seems like. It just seems pointless, and it's not going to change anything. It's not going to fix anything, so why do it? Exactly. It's not going to fix anything. So um, with that in mind, man, like, let's, what else are we looking forward to this week? We got a lot of um, ADCC uh, North American Trials this, this weekend. Um, fight the Win uh, Pro, excuse me, Fight the Win Pro is tomorrow night. I got some friends competing on that card, former um, UFC competitors and, and a couple of the guys I know. Other than that, what do you – and then we also got – isn't no, that's not. I, I almost got excited for a minute. I thought that the uh, that the out that, that the Saul Canelo fight was this weekend, but that's not until May 6th. What are some other things that, that you're looking forward to this week? Um, I, I before I get in, I just have one question when they bring these UFC guys into these grappling organizations for these events, are they paying them like some kind of bonus for name value? Because I mean, obviously, that UFC, UFC carries some kind of weight. I'm just curious. Do you even know? Do they pay them more money for being there? They 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 do usually get paid more than some of the other competitors. Yes. Okay, I was just curious because I'm like, why are these guys doing it? Nothing against grappling, but I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, is it that much of a financial benefit that you would 
you know, go in there and do that because otherwise I don't, I don't see the purpose outside of being competitive. And I, I honestly don't believe that a lot of these fighters are as competitive as they make themselves out to be in their, their sound bites. So thank you for explaining that to me. I was a little curious. No problem. Um, no problem. Sure. Me, the stuff I, I was excited about, I was excited about the, uh, the announcement that they're going to have the Ward Kovalev rematch. I know it's not anytime soon, but that was a, a fight. that was a, in my opinion, a good fight and a fight that created a lot of controversy and, and finally, they're having the rematch. So that was the biggest highlight for me. Um, a lot of a lot of the stuff I was focused on was was actually the UFC card. I wasn't too I wasn't too hip on the Bellator card because it seems like another one of those cards where they have a good main event or maybe a good main and co main event, and the rest of it is just 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 really not worth watching to be honest. So <laughs> I didn't have a lot to be excited about this week as far as as far as the fights and the events coming on. So even even beyond that, I actually also forgot too that um, NBA playoffs start on Sunday too. So be sure to sit down and watch some some damn good basketball. Oh yeah, we're sure we're sure the heavyweight champion will be watching uh, his Cleveland Cavaliers play. Yeah, we're definitely we're definitely sure about that. As as he as as I hope he's getting ready for his next bout, man. But with that in mind, what else are you working on for fight? Uh, excuse me, I almost said fight metric. I, I got too many jobs, man. What else are you working on for um, MMA ratings this week? I have the the piece coming out on Rose Nami Yunus. It's more of kind of talks about the evolution of Rose and whether that evolution is 100% real or it's just an illusion based on her fighting some lesser opponent that allowed her to make herself into something that she really isn't and ask that question. The other piece I had released earlier this week was about uh, Anastasia Yankova, the uh, Russian former Russian Muay Thai fighter who's become somewhat of a uh, lightning rod in Bellator because of the opportunity she's presented. Uh, clearly because of her looks. I mean, let's just be honest about it. And I kind of delved into that. And uh, I, I kind of recommend it for anybody who ever has an issue with someone like a Conor McGregor or or Misha Tate or Paige Van Zandt, because I discussed the kind of phenomena of the poster girl and the poster boy, talk about why that happens, talk about why people resent it, talk about the opportunities it presents for fighters. But more importantly, I talk about the dirty little secret nobody wants to discuss, that poster boys, poster girls, Handsome guys, uh, trash-talking guys, good-looking women who fight, they're necessary evils. They bring money. They keep the lights on. They bring attention. And even though nobody likes to admit it, everybody wants that payday. Everybody wants the attention that comes from fighting the person who has that cachet, who has that name value. And I'll use Conor McGregor as a clear example. People say he's the easiest fighter in any division. Multiple fighters say that then why do you keep calling for the easiest fight? Because that's the money fight and you all want to make money. Nobody wants to admit it because we're all warriors. We're all soldiers. That's not true. You're a businessman. You want him. You already said he's the easiest fight. You don't want him because he's tough. You want him because he pays you the most. And the same thing with Anastasia Yankova. She hasn't made weight. She hasn't beat a ranked opponent. She hasn't looked dynamic in beating the people she's beaten. Yet everybody in the Bellator strawweight division can't keep her name out of their mouth because they know being attached to her or mentioning her is going to get them more clicks, going to get them more interviews, going to get them a possible payday. That's all that matters. And, and it's a business. And as soon as fans and fighters are just more honest about that, the sooner you can enjoy the sport for what it is. Very true, sir. Very good breakdown there. So um, I am working on, I'm actually working on a piece right now for, uh, who was this for? Bloody Elbow about, um, 
the ACC trials this weekend, but I have a piece about Demetrius Johnson that's going to go up today for MMA ratings. Another piece about the middleweights from earlier on this week. And, you know, we always have a great show. I'm going to be looking forward to watching the fights this weekend to see um, what storylines come out for next week, because I'm going to be sure to put together some strong content starting on Sunday. So with that in mind, man, I definitely um, appreciate your time. And look forward to having you back next week. One job, you got like fifteen jobs and like thirty-two. Yeah, man, I'm. I'm So I I'm. I'm definitely sitting here thinking to myself, like, what on earth am I doing? But you know, it is what it is, man. It's all for the love of the game, and it's all for the love of money at the same time, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The money. I, fans. You know what? I I love all you guys, but uh, you know, when y'all read the article, you know what? Feel free to comment on us. Feel free to share, because you know we we love the sport. We love doing this for you. But wouldn't mind if we made a little bit of money off it on the side either. We're just going to be honest. I wouldn't mind it. Wouldn't be honest, man. Wouldn't be honest. I, wouldn't, I won't put that on you. I'll put that on me. I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> so with that in mind, man, we will see you all next week. We appreciate the time. And don't forget to like and share our content each and every time that you see it. Check us out on MMARatings.net and catch us all over social media as well, too. Have right, a great guys. night, Juan. Yeah, take it easy, man. No problem, man. Have a good one.